fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C. and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. I hope you all had a nice Independence Day holiday celebration. But, you know, this year it seems a bit different because um, I, I, you know, just basic, based on like the metadata that I was collecting uh, from doing research and posting on social media, some stories like, you know, cocaine in the White House and all that. You start to you start to realize, you know, that uh, all the stuff that we're seeing, uh, all these catastrophic events, um, the decay of society, it all seems like it's coming from one source, and that is this globalism. Uh, I believe it is all coming from globalism, whether it's the turmoil in France. You know, this woke multiculturalism, it's not working. You know, nobody wants this type of uh, social engineering, you know, and that's what it is. Anytime you get involved with social engineering, you're going to to have uh, some problems because, you know, don't mess with Mother Nature. The world is set up in such a way and we evolve as human beings in such a way. But this artificial intelligence, this technology, this uh, this fast, ever-changing world that we're living in is hard enough to deal with. It's hard enough to keep up with all of the advancements in technology, which is perhaps part of the evolution of man. But, but this whole square peg, round hole business is... A little absurd. And this uh, basically meddling in every aspect of our lives is absurd. We should have smaller government, less government, not more. With technology, you should have less man, less government officials in your life. And the more freedom. You know, so there's a camera up there. Okay, that's fine. We can deal with that. 
That should help crime. But crime is on the rise because we're not locking up the perpetrators. We're going so far as to reward the perpetrators and demonize demonize the uh, the traditionalists, the family, the white man, the heterosexual. All of that has become Judeo-Christian values. Every one of those things is under a siege, under attack, and it gets criticized. But the perpetrator, they're the vict- somehow the victim. And we know that's not true. You know, when does, uh, when, when does, uh, you know, what, what is this whole thing like the Juneteenth and the month of June is all for uh, one sexual learned behavior, uh, social behavior, social misconduct is what it used to be. You know, I'm starting to see on YouTube more videos popping up. Now, I don't know if it's an algorithm based on my own cultural investigation of things, or is it just that there seems to be a demand? Because this particular Independence Day and this particular July 4th that we've experienced seemed different this year. It seemed less patriotic. There was less to celebrate. Who and what is America? And when you see the Bidens at the White House, hours after, just hours after the news broke that there's cocaine in the White House and the hunter was there, to see them celebrate like they are when they're so hateful toward ultra MAGA and all this stuff, we're so divided. We're so divided and it's it's really a situation where um, there's a lot of deception, smoke and mirrors. You know, Biden, before Independence Day, lost three Supreme Court cases, uh, mainly uh, student debt and affirmative action, and, uh, and, and the uh, software developer that didn't want to make a website for a gay couple. So, I mean, every one of their key fundamental issues was shot down. That a Christian, uh, Christian faith has protections under the Constitution. That you don't have to do, for religious purposes, a website for a gay couple. Affirmative action is racist and discriminatory. And... Student loan forgiveness is nothing but theft from one political part group to another. Really simple cases, but they were all pretty much 6-3, meaning six conservatives, three liberals. In just about every case, I think Ketanji Brown-Jackson had to stand out, uh, sit out one, recuse herself because she was directly involved in maybe the Harvard case. But nevertheless... It's uh, it's quite interesting that you sign executive orders that are that far off the deep end, that they're so unconstitutional. How in the world could you look at yourself in the mirror if you're Joe Biden and say you care about America, you care about 
It's independence. You care about democracy. You care about the Constitution. When uh, Cory Bush posted a tweet on Independence Day saying that the Founding Fathers were slave owners and racists and that our constitutional construct is flawed. And it's just sad to see. But, you know, uh, then you turn to France and you see that these people are getting slaughtered and killed in the streets, mostly white people getting killed by these black Africans and Muslims because they were brought in as so-called refugees for a better life. But when you bring a third world underdeveloped um, tribal person and inject them into a society like Paris or, or any town in, in France, a country that's well-developed, perhaps you could say the word civilized, you're going to have conflict. It's sort of like when the liberals decide they want to move inner-city criminals out to the suburbs and inject them into the suburbs and think that somehow that's going to work out okay. They're not doing it in their neighborhoods. That's the, that's the, you know, they're not doing it for themselves. They're doing it for you. The people in charge of these crazy ideas are the people that don't have to live with them. They're not the ones getting a lead pipe hit across their head. They're not the ones getting kicked in the face in the street. They're not the ones that are losing their job because of affirmative action policies or equity or whatever. You know, these quota-based systems. Again, these are all stupid ideas that the government has a hand in and is wrecking our nation. You know, Donald Trump tweeted out on July 5th here, massive prosecutorial misconduct. He Well, he truthed it, right? Massive prosecutorial misconduct is currently taking place in America. The weaponization of law enforcement cannot be allowed to happen. Crime and inflation are rampant. Our borders are open. Our elections are rigged. Our economy is in shambles. Our energy independence is gone. Our leader is mercilessly mocked. And our country is being destroyed both inside and out. Do the people of this once great nation even have a choice but to protest, protest the potential doom of the United States of America 2024? And when you think about it, I think that's the accurate sentiment. And that's, that's why Trump resonates so well with the people. What he says is so true. And this is what scares the people in power. And these people in power are people in power because they're getting paid to be in power by corporate corporations who have a seat at the table at Davos, at the World Economic Forum. They're, uh, they're on the same side as Klaus Schwab and the King of England, King Charles. 
and all these different leaders that have been groomed for one purpose, and that is to lead countries. Lead countries as the socialists that they are. Trudeau's a socialist. You can't tell me Biden's not a Marxist socialist. Ruta from Norway is a socialist. So all the socialists have basically adopted the principles of Klaus Schwab, whose ancestry were Nazis. And they've managed to harness the corporations by getting these leaders in and basically saying, if you're not part of our mission as a corporation, you can't do business in this country. So the corporations say, we have a fiduciary duty to our shareholders to play ball with these politicians who are in charge. So long as they're in charge, we have to do what they say. So if they say go green, we have to go green. If they say diversity, equity, and inclusion, we have to diversify, multiculturalize our corporations. And all of that feeds into greed, slave labor. You know, it's all about slave labor, really. And, and, uh, and the corporat- corporations say, well, that's great. We can make a huge profit by adop- getting it, getting uh, into the. All we have to do is do what you say. All we have to do is do the affirmative action, the DEI, the diversity, equity, and inclusion. All we have to do is you know push the climate hoax uh, because we're um, enforcing new businesses that cost trillions of dollars that don't work, and it's a farce anyway because to make a windmill is dirtier than than uh, than if you just continue to be energy independent. And that's what we need, too. I mean, Trump said it in his tweet today. Our energy independence is gone. We need it back. We need that back. Meanwhile, you got this war in Ukraine, again, perpetrated by the globalists, this global aggression. Some might call it the NATO aggression. And now they're fixing to today... Uh, potentially blow up a nuclear plant. All for what? To get Ukraine into NATO. That's what they're trying to do. They're basically saying that NATO needs to be, uh, uh, Ukraine needs to be in NATO is what they're saying. It's scary. So this is what we're dealing with, folks. We're going to play a few clips, audio clips, Um. And I have a couple of other stories I want to talk about, too, as well. But, um, all right. So, yeah, I found what I was looking for here. Um, All right. So we're going to go ahead and play this first clip. This is Joe Biden lying. (laughs) Let's take a listen to this, and then we'll take a listen to Ronald Reagan. All right. And then I have some other really interesting clips, uh, audio clips for you today. Give them one, I get 90% of what I want, and I don't have to give in too much. So you feel it's, it's a... Senator Biden, welcome to the Advocates. Thank you. Good to be here. Senator Biden, it's nice to have you here. As the youngest member of the Senate, the one, therefore, who may expect the longest career there, I wonder if you'd say <laughs> to us, since it's clear that you're not corrupt and you got elected, 
Why should people think that the system produces corrupt results when there you are? Well, I'm not sure you should assume I'm not corrupt, but I'm, thank you for that, though. The system does produce corruption, and in, in, I think implicit in the system is corruption, when in fact, whether or not you can run for public office, and it costs a great deal of money to run for the United States Senate, even from a small state like Delaware, uh, you have to go to those people who have money, and they always want something. Well, I wonder whether you would feel that there's some virtue in forcing candidates to go out and try to raise money. I've heard people, probably people who didn't run for office, say that it's uplifting to go out and try to get money. Do you think that there's something un-uplifting about putting a limit to how much you can ask one man to give you? I think it's the most degrading experience in the world to have to go out and ask for money because you know that unless you accidentally agree with the position taken by the person or group that has the money, that you run the risk of deciding whether or not you're going to prostitute yourself to give the answer you know they want to hear in order to get funded to run for that office. And uh, it's coincidental in many instances uh, when in fact you happen to agree with where they are. And you run the risk, by the way, of rationalizing, of saying, well, if I compromise on this one, give them one, I get 90% of what I want, and I don't have to give in too much. So, you so that is Joe Biden basically saying, I don't know if you can say I'm not corrupt, but I do sell out for money and understand how the game is played in Washington. That was in 1981. And what's interesting, I think that was in 81, but... Um, What's interesting about that too is the how 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 uh, corporate greed and corporate influence uh, is so bad for politics, and we need to probably change that. We need to get corporate donations and corporate and large donations out of politics. If anything, I think that uh, media outlets ought to be uh, purposed, maybe federally subsidized by federal campaign funds, a fixed amount of money to where, you know, they have to charge a certain price, an equal price, not more for uh, Donald Trump and less for uh, Joe Biden in terms of dollars per ad second. You know, they should all get the same rate and they should all have the same amount of ad time. And they should all get to... uh, be able to keep corporate greed out of the politics. Because what Joe Biden said there is probably true. And he said it's a coincidence that, you you know, the people donating to you are aligned with your point of view. Meaning that the only time you're ever going to get paid is when you actually change your point of view to reflect that of the corporate donor. And that's where you get into trouble. If it's a coincidence, like for example, if you already believe in what the corporate uh, corporate donor believes, they're not going to even pay you because they already, they, they don't have to buy you. They don't have to twist you or change you. So therefore, there's no value in you there's no reason to pay you. You're already going to do what they want you to do for free. The only time they're ever going to pay you is when they want to sway you or change you. That's the only time you're ever going to get paid with a donation so that you'll do and say and vote the right way for them. And that 
is a fundamental problem, fundamental problem in our government. Now, here's the difference between Christine Lagarde, the European Central Bank president, and Milton Freeman. Let's take a listen to this. Inflation is made in Washington because only Washington can create money. And any other attribution of, to other groups of inflation is wrong. Consumers don't produce it. Producers don't produce it. The trade unions don't produce it. Foreign sheiks don't produce it. Oil imports don't produce it. What produces it is too much government spending and too much government creation of money and nothing else. Inflation. That's what Milton Friedman said, right? He knows. And here's what Christine Lagarde, this silver-haired lady that's been all over the IMF and the World Bank, and she's been involved in European finance for decades now. And here's what she says. Pretty much come about from nowhere. Inflation has... um just pretty much come about from nowhere. Inflation has um, just pretty much come about from nowhere. She doesn't have a clue. For her to say that is so stupid. Came from nowhere. Uh, Let me guess. Inflation came because she supported the COVID lockdowns, which locked up people's ability to spend because they couldn't go out. And when they did go out, it became like this huge, huge, um, you know, drunken. It's the drunken sailor syndrome. The drunken sailor syndrome is where you're out at sea for six months or six weeks or whatever length of time you're out, and you get paid all this money, and you come into port, and next thing you know, you go out to the bars, you find a great lady, buy dinners and drinks, and do all kinds of things, boat rides. You're spending your money like a sailor. Back at port. I mean, that's the concept. So Trump wasn't lying about the inflation. Uh, Somebody says, somebody's touting that uh, the Lincoln Project was saying, thank you, uh, POTUS, for for somehow uh, it's supposed to be that there's this report that gas prices is the dollar cheaper from last 4th of July. And the Lincoln Project says, thank you, POTUS. But gas prices are still higher than pre-pandemic numbers under Trump. So we're paying $1.79 for regular. Uh, and someone says, I sure could go for $1.79 gas in a mean tweet right about now. Um, the gas prices are about $4 a gallon still, at least somewhere in that neighborhood. So it's, it's you know, I don't know what they're bragging about. Yeah, just because, you know... It's just so bad. There was a meme here that I wanted to read. It was really quite good. Um, It says, Imagine thinking that genitalia doesn't indicate gender, then suggesting to cut off genitalia to change your gender. That happened. All right, so... um, New York Post uh, broke the story, cocaine found on White House premises in a work area, in a work area. So, you know, one of the reports from CBS said it was in an area where people had access, uh, tourists had access. 
So we're going to get to that. We're going to hear two different clips. But here it says, in just three years, we have had a pandemic, a debt crisis, a climate crisis, apocalyptic fires, record gas prices, a banking collapse, possibility of World War III, toxic train derailments. This is not normal. It's manufactured because if you can manufacture crisis, you manufacture control. That's true. So uh, Zelensky, over the 4th of July, uh, basically was saying that the power plant was going to be um, uh, targeted. He says, now we have information from our intelligence that the Russian military has placed objects resembling explosives on the roof of several power units of the uh, Zaporizhia nuclear power plant perhaps to simulate an attack on the plant. Perhaps they have some other scenario, but um, but it says here, unfortunately, there was no timely and large-scale response to the terrorist attack on the hydroelectric power plant. And this may incite the Kremlin to commit new evil. Okay, so this is what Zelensky's doing. So Zelensky is saying that he needs to be in NATO before this happens. And so this is just another way to get Ukraine into NATO and make NATO more of a, an aggression toward Russia. So Benny Johnson writes, Russia has zero reason to blow up a nuclear power plant under their own control. Ukraine is about to blow up a nuclear power plant to accelerate the conflict into a full-scale NATO regime change declaration of war. Evil, craven, transparent, suicidal. Kim.com says, warning, the Ukrainian counteroffensive failed miserably. The U.S. needs a massive false flag to keep the war going, something that affects NATO countries directly like a cloud of nuclear radiation they will blow up the uh this nuclear power plant and blame it on russia as they always do all right so all right here we go um i'm going to go ahead and play a audio clip related to this let's take a listen Kiev is planning to strike the Zaporozhye nuclear power plant overnight on the 5th of July with a missile containing a nuclear dirty bomb warhead. That's according to the head advisor to the general director of Ros Energo Atom. Let's get more details on this and cross live to RT correspondent Steve Sweeney, who's in Donetsk. Uh, Steve, what do we know so far? Well, we've heard the report that uh, Ukrainian forces are allegedly planning to uh, launch a strike against the Zaporozhye nuclear power plant with a Tochka-U missile armed with a dirty bomb, a nuclear, uh, a nuclear armed with nuclear uh, waste. Now, this comes after uh, both Russia and Ukraine have been trading barbs over the past few weeks with each side accusing the other of launching or about to launch an imminent attack. Then on Tuesday morning, Ukraine uh, cut the main external power line to the nuclear power plant, causing it to rely on backup supplies. Now, this is a power line uh, that ensures uh, nuclear security and nuclear safety, causing the International Atomic Energy Agency chief, Rafael Grossi, uh, to raise concerns over the, uh, the precarious situation at the plants. Now... 
the plant has been under the control of Russian forces since March. It's Europe's largest, but it has come under frequent attack and frequent shelling from Ukrainian forces, prompting Russia, uh, the Russian ambassador to the United Nations, to send a note around the Security Council uh, just last week, calling on the General Secretary, Antonio Guterres, to force Kiev to stop its provocations. Now, in turn, Zelensky, uh, the Ukrainian president, fired back and he accused Russia of planning uh, an explosion at the site. And uh, he said that this could be carried out at some distance if the Ukrainian armed forces weren't allowed to get closer uh, to the uh, site. Now, the International Atomic Energy Agency replied by saying, well, actually, there is no evidence to suggest this. Now, let's remember that they have a team permanently based uh, at the nuclear power plant. They report every day. And Grossi again replied and he said... I never argue with the president of Ukraine. I could only say that I was there and did not see it. Our teams are reporting there every day. Now, this was a response to Zelensky's claim that uh, Russia had taken in uh, 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 cars with explosives to the nuclear power plant and had also mined the area. So that has been denied by the International Atomic Energy Agency. Now, of course, these are very, very worrying times, and this could lead to the biggest nuclear catastrophe since Chernobyl in 19. Steve, many thanks for that. As you say, a lot of finger pointing over and over threats towards this very sensitive Zapor- Well, and there's talk about that happening today. So that's kind of an interesting little thing that uh, we need to keep an eye on. It's a fairly big story. Uh, this is another thing. It says... World War Three alerts. Zelensky tells CNN it is very important that Biden must admit Ukraine into NATO now after the catastrophic losses in the failed counteroffensive. Ukraine's only chance is direct military intervention from the U.S. NATO because they're mis they're misappropriating the funds. We're giving them all kinds of money, all kinds of stuff, and people are selling the equipment uh, on the black market. They're uh, cl- Pocket, lining the pockets of politicians this this is not a this is a money laundering operation more than it is a war no one's really trying to win it they're trying to continue it so that they could keep on getting rich off of your tax dollars the nato summit is scheduled for next week july 11th through the 12th in lithuania NATO members are expected to discuss whether or not to bring Ukraine into NATO, thus declaring war on Russia. And that's what they're trying to get to. A World War III. NATO against Russia and China and probably other countries will come to Russia's defense because Russia is not the aggressor here. It's NATO that's the aggressor. That's what that's what I think has ha- been happening for Decades now with uh, people like Victoria Nuland at the State Department waging coups in 2014 and overthrowing the Ukrainian government and installing bioweapon installations uh, through Metabiota and a lot of other things were going on in Ukraine. And what, Russia's just supposed to sit back and just take it? I, I don't think so. And now, you know, China's on the move. They're going to be moving installations into Cuba, uh, which is going to neutralize our ability to do anything when they decide to go ahead and seize Taiwan. And that's going to give them more of a power grip on supply chains. 
But, you know, people like Mitch McConnell, whose wife, Elaine Chow, her family owns the Foremost Group, one of the biggest shipping companies in the world, based out of China, no less, loves the Belt and Road Initiative and loves this whole scheme. And the people that support Paris Agreement love the fact that it enforces slave labor in China that helps corporate profits. I mean, it's so simple, right? This is not complex. It's complex in the way that they're able to achieve this deception and corruption, yes. And it's complex in the way that people are not able to grasp this because of their belief in the mainstream media, the corporate media that's paid for the same paid for by the same people that are perpetrating these crimes. And this is the problem. You know, whether, um, you know, it's Hollywood covering up their child trafficking or whether it's the mainstream media carrying water for the globalist agenda, it's all about the money. And there's no way to change that at this point. You just have to somehow figure out a way to prove their guilt. And even when you do, they don't cover that part of the story. They don't write the retraction to their false claims. So let's take a listen to this CNN uh, piece. More than a year after the Kremlin invaded Ukraine, President Volodymyr Zelensky says his country is not backing down to Russian President Vladimir Putin. We cannot imagine Ukraine without Crimea. And while Crimea is under the Russian occupation, it means only one thing. War is not over yet. In an exclusive interview with CNN's Aaron Burnett, Zelensky expressed thanks to the Biden administration and both parties in Congress for their assistance during the war thus far. Without the U.S.'s help, it will become a frozen conflict. With the U.S.'s help, we will deoccupy our territory. Deoccupation of any next town is weakening Putin. We don't have to be scared of that. He's also calling for President Joe Biden to invite Ukraine into NATO now. The majority of the NATO countries support inviting Ukraine to NATO. Those who have their doubts look only at President Biden, and he knows that this depends on him. It will be his decision. Meanwhile, Moscow has deployed more than 180,000 troops to two major eastern battlefronts, according to a Ukrainian military spokesperson. And on Monday, Russia's defense minister thanked Russian armed forces for stopping a recent 24-hour rebellion against the Kremlin. These plans failed primarily because the personnel of the armed forces showed loyalty to their oath and military duty. I'm John Lawrence reporting. Yep. Uh, so that's sort of like you've heard the tale of two stories. And it's hard to know what to believe. Um, but uh, bringing Ukraine into NATO was always a mistake. And to, to, to do otherwise, uh, to just go ahead and do it, is, is a mistake. That's for sure. All right. So um, I wanted to play uh, a couple. I wanted to pivot and change subjects uh, to get to a couple of other little things. This is the one uh, where uh, a dad is talking about. Well, basically what happened was uh, Joe Biden was accusing the right of censoring books in schools. And of course, he took that completely out of context. 
several so, weeks. So, uh, you know, that was that was that part. And uh, let's uh, let's see right here. Let's take a listen. Let's stand with teachers and educators against politicians who are trying to score political points by banning books. Did you all ever think you'd be in a situation in the United States of America? That's totally. We're talking about banning mis- books, misinformation, and the people deciding who to what books to ban. Come on, that's not who we are. Tiffany, is the goal of your organization to ban books? No, curating the content of a children's public school library is not banning books. I think I'd like to meet with President Biden. I have a number of books that I'd like to bring with him. I'll show him some pictures and I'll read some text to him. And then I'll ask him if he'd like to read some of these things that have graphic sexual content to maybe his grandchildren, for example, or perhaps he could sit in front of a kindergarten classroom and read those books. I think what you would see is he would say absolutely not. In fact, when we try to send these images to the Department of Education in Florida, the email bounced back because the images were too graphic. So why is it not okay for the news, not okay for a school board meeting, but okay for a children's classroom? It's a very good point. And here's this father. uh, And let's take a listen to this. Several weeks ago, in a vote to allow trans students to use whatever bathroom they wish, you assured us that these policies were perfectly safe, as neither yourself nor law enforcement could provide a single example of any trans student assaulting any girl in any bathroom, in any school, in any state, anywhere in all, in fact. But not to worry, since you could locate them, I took the trouble to. See, Loudoun County, Virginia, where last year, under district policy, a trans student was allowed into the women's bathroom where he assaulted a girl. To cover it up, they moved him to another school where he did it again. See, Irvine, California last month, where a trans student entered the women's locker room and flashed the girls there. When they confronted him, he mercilessly beat them. This happened again in Gwinnett County, Georgia. This happened again in Oklahoma City. This happened again in Ohio, where a trans man was allowed to use the locker room where he was arrested for flashing little girls. The judge dropped the charges after he ruled that this man was too fat for them to see anything. Last month, in this city, A man using they, them pronouns in a scene straight out of Silence of the Lambs hunted down and killed a female jogger because he, quote, wanted to look just like her. And before you say that these are anecdotal evidence, just note that in a survey of trans inmates in federal prisons, half were convicted of sexual assault and 90% were convicted of violent crimes well above the general prison population. Now, it should also be noted that in each of these cases, each of these perpetrators had either changed their pronouns, had undergone transition, or had received gender-affirming therapy and accommodations thereof. Why is this important to note? Probably for the same reason we recognize as a society that you do not affirm that people with anorexia can be healthy in any way. You do not affirm that somebody with schizophrenia is hearing voices. And you do not affirm that somebody in a manic episode is having great ideas. Because when you leave somebody to languish in their false mental state, i.e. men who think they are women, they will inevitably lash out and harm themselves and those around them, hurt people hurt other people, but I don't want to pretend and have the hubris to think that I'm going to be the one to change your mind. I'm happy to share any and all of these examples with you, 
but you will most likely leave here tonight believing that men can become women, affirming care works, and that you made the right vote. But you will no longer be able to look into the eyes of your constituents and honestly say that you are unaware of the assaults that inevitably take place when we declare to women you have no right to privacy. Thank you very much. Love that. Uh, that was great. And uh, all right. So now we're going to pivot to climate. This geologist, Professor Ian Plummer exposes the fraudulent nature of the net zero scam in under three minutes. Let's take a listen to this. And we had one of our former prime ministers or prime monster tell us that this was the greatest moral crisis. It is a moral crisis. Certainly it's a moral crisis because the fundamentals of science are you do not tamper with the original evidence. That has happened with our temperature record, where the past has been cooled and it makes it look, look as if we're warming. That is fraud. And the whole process is based on fraud. And this whole concept now has given us renewables. Now, these renewables need a complete rewiring of the grid. These renewables, wind and solar, if you want to build them, you expend more energy in building them than you do that they'll produce. If you want to build wind and solar, the amount of carbon dioxide to build them is more than they'll save. So why spend trillions? It's just not right. We're making ourselves very vulnerable in this country. Our solar and wind, solar panels and wind turbines come from China. Our wind turbines and solar panels have a very short life. If we kill off our coal and gas generation and have no nuclear, China completely controls the amount of energy we can produce in this country. That is really strategically stupid. And there's only one country in the world that's really survived by using solar, and it's Spain. I mean, the, the Spaniards are incredibly clever. And they have learnt to be able to generate solar power at night. You heard that correctly. So how do they do it? Well, it's very simple. The subsidies are so generous that you can afford to run a diesel gen set and floodlight the solar panels and still make a quid. <laughs> and that is telling us that this is a scam. The whole lot is a con and a scam. And you know, forget the birds and the bats and the scenery and farmland getting destroyed by solar and wind. We all know about that. But do we know? that if we put up solar panels, they are built by slave labour in China. So if you're a supporter of solar, you obviously must be a supporter of slavery. If you are wandering around in your electric vehicle, prancing around, morally superior, then you need to be able to answer the question, well, why is it that you are driving an electric vehicle when that cobalt, most of which it comes from the, uh, the Congo, is mined by black slave children and the cobalt goes to China. There you go. And you almost have to wonder, the globalists that like to move populations around, whether or not this is sort of planned. Like, uh, maybe maybe they realize they've already uh, exceeded their ability to move these uh, third world people into first world countries like France or England or Germany 
or the United States or wherever, right? And so people are, you know, there's a, there's a boiling point, right? There's a threshold to what people will accept. And after, after a while, it's a tinderbox, it's chaos, like you're seeing in France. Multiculturalism, it's not working. It's not a utopia, you know. But, um, and maybe they're, they're coming up with uh, these, these industries to keep these slaves in their developing nations uh, to mine for cobalt, like in Africa, you know, in the, in the African countries, like the Congo. And, you know, who knows? I mean, that, that's a theory, but uh, in any case, it's hard to explain, except we know that it's about slave labor, it's about, and slave labor is about profits. And these corporations that do it are multinational corporations in bed with globalists. And they control the media with their ad dollars. They control the politicians with their campaign donations. And until we fix how the money flows into uh, media, mainstream media, or uh, how the money flows into anything else, we got we got to get a handle on the source, the motives, and figure out ways to fix the problems that we're get you know that are sowing the seeds of disinformation and political corruption and the inhumanities of slave labor. Like I said, the four commodities on the black market, oil, weapons, drugs, and human trafficking. And the movie that we are recommending, Sound of Freedom, you should go out and see that whenever you can. I want to switch gears. I hesitate to bring this up because um, I know a lot of my listeners aren't big on Twitter. I I don't really know why, because that, I put my whole show together on Twitter, believe it or not. But I want to I want you to take a listen to this uh Mike Mike Ben's character. Uh Twitter made some really big moves uh particularly about scrape data scraping. It's going to have a huge impact on the 2024 election, I think. Let's take a listen to this. Good morning. I am here out for a hike in beautiful Coldwater Canyon in Hollywood and thought I would record my take on this new rate limit controversy happening right now on Twitter with Elon Musk limiting uh, Twitter access to 6,000 and now 8,000 tweets per day for verified users and 600 to 800 for non-verified. And I'm going to sort of address this issue from the perspective of the censorship industry because it's a really fascinating thing that Musk just did with with wide-ranging implications for the science of censorship. So uh, for those who've been following me and Foundation for Freedom Online for some time, you know that uh, AI censorship is where all of the magic happens. You know, the Twitter files showed how you know, the FBI might come in and, and you know, get 22 tweets censored. But AI was how uh, EIP and other type of uh, third-party censorship groups were able to get 22 million tweets censored. So the order of, of it's, you know, that's six orders of magnitude, right? There's, it, it's, a, it's a completely different animal. You could not censor the internet before 2016 at the kind of scale that you do now because you have AI censorship models. That is, there's a AI censorship death star that has been 
under construction and innovation and renovation, uh, you know, every, every week, every month, every year for the past six, seven years now. And it all relies on massive scraping of Twitter data in order to build these models and databases to track trending narratives, to systematically surveil and build sort of intelligence dossiers and to track and to turn down all at once communities online, you know, political communities, uh, social or public health communities, you know, uh, any you know, climate communities, I mean, the, you name it, whatever the sensitive policy issue of the day is, you can use this massive Twitter scraping capacity to ingest everyone's tweets and then disambiguate out all of the words that they're using, the hashtags, the themes, the memes, and to build this sort of code book of, of, of online communities that can then be used for mass censorship, that is used for mass censorship. So a good example of this is how did EIP end up getting 22 million tweets classified as information? Well, first, they, you know, they didn't flag 22 million by hand. This was something that Mehdi Hassan, the MSNBC host, uh, flagrantly deceived his millions of viewers about. They, when he said, oh, well, they only flagged 3,000, not 22 million, hardy, 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 so you're only off by 21.7 million. Uh, no, you butthead. Uh, actually, what happened was is they used AI to designate 22 million because they scraped 859 million tweets to build their AI model of which they said 22 million constituted uh, misinformation, okay? So yeah, the 3,000 was just the tip of the 22 million iceberg because back in, in the Twitter iteration before today, these third-party censorship consortiums could just mass ingest hundreds of millions of tweets all at once in order to build these vast censorship models in order to control all of public conversation all at once. Now, look, at that time, they also had captured the trust and safety teams at Twitter. So it was very easy for them to build that model and then, you know, basically target those 22 million uh, tweets and all the, you know, hundreds of thousands of accounts and have those be automatically throttled because they were controlling the actual enforcement arms as well. It's unclear if that continues to be the case, but the fact is, is that Twitter is by far and away the intelligence agency, the State Department, the Defense Department, and the NGO Plex um, social media platform par excellence. They much prefer the, the intel they can scrape from Twitter than from any other social media company, and there's good reason for this. I guess other than LinkedIn, you, I'd say, and, and they would say. And part of that is because of tw Twitter's not a walled garden like Facebook. Facebook is also a social media, uh, you know, platform, obviously, but it's most private accounts you can only access if you are friends with that person or friends of a friend. Twitter does, did not have that. Um, and uh, YouTube is a, there's a giant divide between producers and consumers. Um, consumers on, on YouTube are not cre content creators. That's not the case on Twitter. Every Twitter user is a content creator when they click the retweet button. And so you can, you can map real-time narrative emergence on Twitter in a way that you can't do on any other social media platform. And that has been used by the CIA, the State Department, the Defense Department, hundreds of censorship, government-funded NGOs, uh, uh, centers, nonprofits, foundations, university, quote-unquote, research uh, centers, and, and uh, 
the works. It's in order to build their social media censorship Death Star, they need to be able to scrape hundreds of millions of tweets. And what Musk is doing here is very interesting because on the one hand, you would argue, you could argue it's a sort of kind of form of, I wouldn't say censorship necessarily because it's not like a, a particular person is singled out, but you are, you are limiting the openness of the internet by doing this. But on the other hand, you are actually potentially preserving the openness of the internet by preventing the construction of this censorship death star that is getting more and more refined every day and is being funded by your tax dollars to the tunes of tens of millions from DARPA and the National Science Foundation to say nothing of all the State Department and USAID uh, and National Endowment for Democracy grants. So it's all very interesting. Um, you know, that is just one thing to keep on keep in mind on top of the fact that this is obviously, you know, going to be a revenue generator for Musk as he sees it in the sense that he he drew a distinction between verified accounts and unverified accounts where you can sort of have normal Twitter if you've got a verified account because that 8,000 rate limit is is pretty substantial, but 800 is not a lot. And so it highly incentivizes people to get, pardon me, very verified accounts. So, so obviously this could, I'm not sure that Elon Musk is doing this to throttle the AI censorship Death Star constructed out of the censorship industry. He may just be doing this for cynical business reasons, you know, in order to pump up the subscription base. Uh, or, or, you know, a privacy reason independent of censorship. But whether he knows it or not, uh, there are going to be hundreds of censorship operatives housed within the university research centers this, this week howling at the moon that this is an attack on democracy for, uh, for Musk to limit their access because it has been, for years now, it has been a big bugaboo of all of the, the, the university censorship operatives who cloak themselves as so-called researchers, when what they are is they're operatives, uh, that, that, that if they lose access to the underlying data on which their AI censorship models are built, then they will not be able to do their jobs as effective, fast, pr precise, and comprehensive social media censors. So they had a, a big, they've been having a big fight about this exact issue in Europe because of, of Europe's uh, GDPR laws, their, their data privacy laws, and, and other sovereign European state restrictions on third-party access to, uh, to social media user-level data. And so they've tried to get around that by having, you know, certain journalists and researchers, a sort of designated privileged class to get. Well, you get where that's going, and that's going to have a major impact on the 2024 election, in my opinion. Hey, it brings us to the end of the Scott Adams Show. Be sure to check out magapack.org. Make a donation if you can. Use Red State over at mypillow.com. We'll see you next time on the radio. Just to bury my kids right up to bed.